It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball Podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. My guest today is a role model for a number of reasons. He's an outstanding player, fantastic coach, and an even better human. Tony Tolinar has been a triathlete, a tennis player, a racquetball player. He played college baseball. Those alone are inspiring, but what he's done in recent years has also been remarkable. In an effort to improve his health and his game, he's lost over 40 pounds. And even during COVID, he's managed to keep it off. Well, most of it anyway. That's amazing. He's got a great story, and I can't wait to hear it. So please welcome Mr. Tony Tolinar. Tony. Hey, my friend. How you doing? Good, mate. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. How are you feeling? Ah, uh, you know, I'm I'm over the worst of it. So good. It wasn't a whole lot of fun there, but yeah, what can you do? I know, right? I know. I know, man. Sometimes just pushing through the grind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. How about you? Have you been staying healthy? Have been, yeah. So very fortunate and thankful for that. But yeah, things have been well, you know, everything to be considered. So haven't ran into any bugs and and that's a positive thing. So beautiful, beautiful. How have you been keeping busy is, is work? And this is something that's almost embarrassing. What, what keeps you occupied? What What's your main source? Yeah, so I'm a so I'm 26 year veteran with a company called Granger. So we're a commercial industrial wholesale company, actually the largest safety supplier in North America. So we've been right in the middle of all of the masks and calls with FEMA and and everything like that. So I'm actually a district sales manager. So I lead a team of outside sellers and, and that's been a challenge in itself, right? With everything being closed and we've had to move to kind of that more virtual setting. So it's, it's been a challenge and a stretch for everybody to say the least, because this, you know, we at Granger is a multi-billion dollar company and has multiple levels of sales throughout their organization. We have an entire sales team and inside sales team, outside sales team, different levels of account sizes that we call on. I lead a team that calls on large customers with large MRO potential and but the thing is, is, you know, our team is best when their feet on the ground in front of our customers, right? They, that's where they're at their, at their best and that's how they sell and close business. And, and there's definitely a little different skill set when you consider somebody inside sales as making more cold calls. And yeah, that, that's a very different animal. You know, there's so many different things, Morgan. It's just, uh, yeah, we've had to, we've all had to kind of check and adjust a little bit for sure. With any luck, the fact that this pandemic has caused a massive need for more safety equipment, masks and whatnot, as you mentioned, that hopefully uh, that's been able to offset some of the, the drawbacks of not being able to have boots on the ground. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of that material early on got pulled right away to the government, right? So for first responders, healthcare, that type of thing. So for a lot of our team, depending on what segment they were selling in, whether it's say a manufacturing facility or commercial places like Disney, Vegas, where they have a lot of hospitality, those areas were hit really, really hard. But we have an entire sales coverage team that covers healthcare and government, right? So it's every different facets of the of the team were impacted different ways. And in some cases, we just didn't have product available to sell anybody and, and to support with. So we had to be what we did have 
you know, we had to pull either out to first responders or, you know, the team in BC says, hey, we're actually going to take product direct from the manufacturers and, and supply until supply and demand kind of level out a little bit. So, Wow. Either way, it's fair to say the country owes you a debt of gratitude for the role your company's taking here. That's good stuff. Yeah, we appreciate that. We give it our best shot for sure. Good man, good man. Have you been able to play any pickleball? Yeah, so that's been a pretty consistent piece. I would say, you know, not in the groups that we typically play with. I've been fortunate to get out and 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 I'm always get a chance to connect with Wes Gabrielson and obviously Eric Lang and we'll get a chance to play and drill periodically. But early on during this, we just had a, we have a private indoor facility that we have access to. It's a, just a single court. And we kept a pretty small group. It's played a lot with my wife and, and my brother and another friend of ours. Just that was when everything was kind of in the middle. And we were still pretty careful on the groups of people we were, you know, we were around until we had a chance to kind of figure this whole thing out ourselves. And, but yeah, things have started to open up and been playing a lot more. And I still hit a couple times a week, even during all the craziness. So perfect. Good. So you're going to be one of the few that are going to hit the ground running when tournaments are really back up and running. Man, I'm ready. We're ready to go. I think Coeur d'Alene's coming up here pretty quick. And, you know, just disappointed to hear about Nationals, um, that announcement yesterday. Yeah. Disappointing, but understand, right? I don't know. There's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of workings, a lot of we're making tougher decisions than me as a player and a participant or and a fan of the game, right? Just want it to be, you want it to go on. So. Yeah. I mean, the kind of budget they have for pickleball, it's upwards of a million dollars or so. And if they're not thinking they're going to get, you know, the kind of return that they're needing, it's a tough ask for something as big as the Indian Wells Tennis Garden to know that there's just honestly not going to be too many volunteers that are going to put their hands up. It's a really tough ask. And it's understandable that the biggest tournaments are going to be the ones that have to bite the bullet and say, sorry, guys. Unfortunately, I mean, I'd still be a little bit shocked if TOC goes through. Do you think it's going to happen? You know, we were just talking about that yesterday. I think a lot of it depends on Utah, what they can continue to see in numbers. If Kyle can work his magic, you know, with those locals, and obviously some things will be out of his control. But I know there's a lot of people that I talk to that are are ready to go and, and embrace it if given the opportunity. So that kind of falls into that side of, hey, man, we got only can, can control the controllables. And I start overthinking that stuff and think every possible reason why it should happen and, and sometimes forget why something like that, an event like that potentially wouldn't go on. So Yeah, there are so many moving parts that the average person isn't really aware of. I ran a bunch of tournaments, you know, from 2015 through to 17 and the headaches just with the level that I was running and it, they were just amateur tournaments, but my God, it's so much work. And for you to to know that X amount of participants just aren't going to come because of either flight problems or the fear of spreading this thing. It's a difficult situation for every tournament director and everybody worldwide. But Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to be upset if I just have to focus on 2021. You know, there's a bigger picture here and I think everybody you know, kind of needs to keep an eye on that. Yeah, I think it's a lot about doing the right things now to you know, ensure that we don't have further setbacks. And California certainly opened up a little early and we're paying the price now. The numbers are, they're spiking at a level where I feel like I'm, I might not be able to go to a bar for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... You guys did get kicking a little bit earlier than some of the others. You know, and some of that, I wonder, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to put too hard of a stance out there, but, you know, we're going to start seeing a lot more positive results as we increase the amount of testing and stuff. I think 
my brother's a sports physician chiropractor, and it's interesting to to learn from other doctors in the field. And we need to keep a close look at the hospitalization rates and and not just the positive results. I get it though; they all have impact, and it's probably just safe to safe to play it there. But I think there's a lot of things we need to take a look at, and I probably worry most about our economy overall just the need for us to find ways to keep this going and, and get it going again. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at some point in the country may learn that you can't really have your cake and eat it too. Yes, everybody wants the economy back to work, but no one wants the, the blood on the hands. So finding that middle ground, and there's so many factors involved. So, yeah, hopefully the smarter people than me at the task. I always say the same thing, man. There's a lot of people that are making a lot bigger decisions than I'll ever make. So, yeah, people with long white coats and, and Coke bottle glasses are really yeah, doing go. good stuff out <laughs> exactly. there. Exactly. So, come on, people. Get us a vaccine. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, at least for a, a solid treatment, right? That'd be, uh, that'd be nice. That'd be massive, that'd be nice. too. Yeah. 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 Have you snuck back out on the golf course? I allegedly, it's possible. Nice. Nice. I've been listening to all the podcasts. I know you're in a little bit more off now. And it's interesting. You know, I was a two handicap back in the day before I picked up a pickleball paddle and haven't really picked up my club in about seven years. And oh, okay, wow. it was kind of funny. It was like the last, I'd say about two months ago when everything was kind of locked out, but then all of a sudden golf courses started opening up and you had a lot of time on your hand. I, it was like, man, I kind of had this urgent it was ignited to jump back on that golf course and, and potentially this, hit the yeah, sticks there's again something but, about it right it, yeah. there's something about that, that crazy game i remember when i was very young my father was reading a book called it was called a long walk spoiled and he would kind of read you know various bits and then he would give it to me to read some and and at the time i'd only played a handful of times but i knew it was going to be a lifelong game to play and I kind of gave it up for about 20 years or so and, and picked it up again last June July with a goal of of breaking par within a year and just before I, I got a little ill we'll just say that a couple of weeks ago and I managed to managed to pull that off so I feel like I'm gonna hang up the sticks sticks for a little while and there we go <laughs> rest on my laurels that <laughs> usually works out <laughs> that is for sure We're going to take a quick break there for a little quick tip from our sponsor at Coach Me Pickleball. Practice makes perfect, right? My name is Morgan Evans, and I have to tell you that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes progress. That's why we've created Coach Me Pickleball. At Coach Me Pickleball, you'll find an extensive and growing library of lessons on topics covering every aspect of pickleball for every level of player. For one small monthly fee, you'll get access to every video in our library with new content added every month. Check out coachmepickleball.com to sign up for a free seven-day membership. Ah, that's good stuff there. Okay, let's get back to the interview. So you've played a lot of sports. I, I, you know, I've been reading about you, obviously. You've been a triathlete as well. That's something I want to talk about. Yeah, so my brother and my wife and I did Ironmans for about five years. We did one a year. And I remember my brother and I did the first one. My wife, Kim, had trained the entire time with us. But when it came time to sign up and, and actually do it, she was like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm quite ready for that. And we get to the event and she, from that point on, once we showed up, she's like, oh man, I wish I would have signed up and did it. But that was a great run about five years for us. And 
short of jumping back on a stationary bike or pedal around the trails in Bend, Oregon, man, I, you know, there was a period of time where I didn't really care to set back on a bike seat again, but they were full Ironman distant triathlon. So yeah, it was, you know, the. Wow. It's a special kind of person that wants to put yourself through that kind of pain. People, I think, look at something like a marathon as, you know, one of the pinnacles of endurance athletics, but Ironman, the taxation on the body to go through that kind of thing, what sort of got you into it? What forced you to decide, you know, I'm, I'm due for blood, sweat and tears. Let's do this. My brother has a vacation home over in Bend, Oregon and in Sun River, and they do a race every year called the Pacific Crest Half Ironman. And we just happened to be there one summer and that event was going on and we just got kind of wrapped up into all the you know, all the participants, the racers. We went out to watch the swim and the run is finished back on the trails throughout Sun River. And I just remember we saw that and it took us right back to, I remember when I was in high school sitting and watching Keith Jackson and do the Gator, you know, Gatorade Ironman. And I always thought at that time, I thought, man, that's just who in the world could ever possibly do that and accomplish that. And, and there we found ourselves literally signing up for an Ironman race before we'd even participated in, in a triathlon. So we definitely didn't think through it, but knew that it was something we were all in and we went for it. So that was kind of where it started. That's incredible. I was listening uh, not too long ago, an interview with Courtney DeWalter. I'm not sure if you know who that is. She won the Moab 240, 238 mile ultra marathon, you know, and it's men versus women. She beat the next place. It was a guy by 10 hours. Unbelievable. Just thinking, and, and I remember one of the interesting things was she said she slept twice during the race. And one of them was for about 19 minutes. And the second one was for no more than about a minute during this race. And she said she felt like when she woke up from the one minute nap, she felt the most refreshed she'd ever felt in her life. And uh, it gave her the kind of wings to, to finish strong. But any thoughts on, on getting into the Moab? No. In fact, funny thing is, is that I, I'm much more connected to those ultra marathon races than this body would ever want to push through. But my brother has raced a lot of the top ones, Western States 100. He's done a lot of the toughest 100 mile races that you can do. And I've actually crewed for him at one of those in Texas one time. And here I thought I was going to get some rest and possibly some sleep in between some of these transition areas where he would actually come through and be an aid station. I'd you know, open this massive pack up and have everything laid out on a blanket. But I was always this mass panic of actually going to miss him. And then he, you know, he would be out without the fuel that he needed potentially. And I did the last 20 miles with him and I can just tell you that that last 20 miles was just confirmation that I do not want any part of going a hundred miles, let alone something that's even greater than that. So it's pretty intense to see people, what they can push their bodies through. And that's, you know, I'd never slept. I didn't sleep a wink that entire time. And I think I remember what my brother's time was. I want to say 20, under 24 hours or 26 hours, something like that. So, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It definitely takes a, it takes a unique individual that can get out there and run. For sure. You know, for sure. Six hours to, to get some of this stuff done. But, you know. So that, that brings me to a next topic that I'm curious about. You know, you went through a fairly serious body transformation in the last few years. You know, and if you don't mind me asking, how many pounds did you lose? Well, I think I'm down. Yeah, I've, I've always been up and down. So that's every Ironman race I've ever done. I've always, I think I race weight came in at probably... I don't know, 15 to 20 pounds heavier than I really would love to have been at. But I am down now from nationals just last year. 
about 26 pounds. So. Wow. But before that, it seemed like your, your transformation started earlier than that. Everybody, when they first saw you after seeing for a little while, there was a real wow factor. I think as, as much as probably 42 pounds, probably 40, it was 42 to 45 what I initially took. And then I kind of held steady, so to speak, at that weight for about a year and a half and then really started to kind of focus in on it. And, and my diet's still not perfect, but I can tell you during this whole thing and and just, you know, not always feeling healthy at nationals from a, just a, how my body felt or I was dealing with some back issues. I just feel like I've never been healthy for a nationals yet. And I was ready for 2020. And so we'll just push it out to 2021 and I'll be even more ready to go. So. <laughs> good man. Good man. Did you find when you started losing some of this, this weight that it affected, was there a point where you actually felt like it negatively affected your endurance? You know, there's a lot of people in the fight game, especially they cut a lot of weight and depending on how, you know, how much they're depleting their body, they find their ability to carry power and strength through to the later rounds is much more difficult. And pickleball, we all know how taxing it can be when you get to the later stages of the tournament, which which you often do. Was it always, you know, a great feeling to, you know, to feel lighter on your feet and having better cardio with any luck? Or was there a downside? No, I think it's for me personally, anytime I've been lighter, I've always felt better on the court. And that's not only from a physical standpoint, because everything you mentioned, Morgan, is spot on. It's, you know, it's the endurance piece. It's it's your overall cardio. I think a lot of times in doubles and pickleball, we can, depending how deep you go into the to the bracket and how warm it is, and there's a lot of factors that come in. I think a lot of times people feel like we can kind of squeeze by and, and lean on our partner maybe a little bit more. I've always been fortunate enough to be able to move well enough with the extra weight that I did carry to get to get me through at times. But I can tell you the lighter I've gotten, it is improved from not only a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, how I feel on the court before I even step on the confidence, right? There's a certain confidence level when you feel fit and you know you put in the time. Uh, I used to say the same thing about Ironman, right? It's race morning there's massive butterflies. You, you, I mean, you would be as nervous as you could imagine, but as soon as that gun goes off and you've got 1,500 or 2,500 people doing a mass swim start, the rest of the day, you just go out and enjoy the day because you know you're standing on that beach and you put in all your time and, and all those butterflies and the nerves go away immediately. And it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's no different than even going out to have a drill session and just you feel better, right? Your recovery is quicker. I know you're a you're you're a big fan of of recovery and also the the hydration piece prior to putting in a lot of work. And that's just stuff I'm learning. And it's interesting. Everyone kind of finds that groove for themselves and what works. But in the end, man, it's it's us making our own decisions on what we ultimately want and and are we seeing the results? Not only physically, but you know, out on the court. Doesn't matter what you do. I can tell you that the fitter I am. And the better I feel about myself, I perform better in my job. I'm more prepared to have sometimes difficult conversations with sellers and customers. And at the same time, I'm much more apt to jump into some open play and try to take an opportunity to give back if I have the opportunity to do that also. So it just, it kind of plays itself out. It's just kind of how I, you know, I live my life is from an activity standpoint and, and kind of general rule of, you know, what I need to do to get through a day. going to take a quick break there from Tony for some childish chit chat with part two of Conversations with Andrew. 
Let's see what the young man has to say. Hey Morgan, Andrew from Ithaca here, and I'm happy to report that pickleball tournaments have started back up on the East Coast, as my dad and I just took the gold medal in men's doubles at the Virginia Pickleball Classic. Had my first tournament Ernie winner as well. Three questions for today. I run a podcast about theme parks and roller coasters. And I was just wondering about your thoughts on them and if you had any favorites. I was wondering about your views on backspin dinks versus topspin dinks. Have you gotten a chance yet to get your hands on the new Selkirk Vanguard paddle? What are your thoughts? Thanks, Morgan, for the great episodes and taking my questions. One more thing. I'm working with Daryl from Selkirk on a sponsorship. So if you could put in a good word for me, I'd really appreciate it. I'll even send you a box of Richard D. Grubbs. You're a corker, mate. G'day, mate. Good to hear from you. Well done on the tournament victory. Way to carry the old man. Good job. Mate, I'm impressed you run your own podcast already. It took me 36 years or something like that to figure out casting of pod. And I have like a bunch of people helping me. So nice work. Regarding roller coasters, well, I like them, don't get me wrong, but I think they could be better. I've noticed that, you know, at the end of the roller coaster, you kind of just end up back where you were. So I'd like a roller coaster to sort of take you somewhere, like maybe the front of the line at the bar. That'd be nice. Regarding your next question, back spinning and top spinning, well, that's a good question. I'm a huge fan of top spin on the serve, a big fan of backspin on the return of serve, on third shot drives, a little bit of topspin never hurt anybody, that's always a good time, for cross-court dinks, backspin for sure, I think that's a good weapon to be able to implement, topspin for lean-in rolling dink volleys, whereby the ball falling onto the paddle really lends itself well to be able to create a little bit of topspin and angle the ball away from an opponent and using some of that topspin to make sure that it's going to drop down delicately into the kitchen. Topspin on lobs, for sure, yeah, for the same reason. You're going to want to use some of that topspin to help get the ball down into the court and quickly up and over someone's head. Okay, moving on. Yes, I have got my hands on the new Vanguard and in my shape, the Maxima, and I love it. I tell you... It could be the best thing since sliced bread. And sliced bread, by all accounts, was really very popular and still is. I'm a big fan of the hybrid version. It seems like the sweet spot kind of extends up to my elbow, which is crazy. And try not to use your elbow for making contact with the ball. Oh, and the dwell time. Gah, don't even get me started on the dwell time. It's still there. I hit a serve three weeks ago. Ball is still on the paddle. It's crazy. Crazy. Okay, now moving on. Regarding sponsorship, geez, I tell you, if I had a dollar for every time someone came to me expecting me to be able to get them a Selkirk sponsorship, well, then I'd be making money in a very strange way. But I'd still have probably 15 to 20 bucks, so that'd be good. Daryl, well, Daryl, if you're listening, and I'm almost certain you are listening, this is an official good word for Andrew. Kid seems to be going places, he's got his own podcast. And despite the somewhat mispronunciation of the word spending, he seems like a stand-up dude. So we'll consider him for the 2032 Selkirk Olympic team. What do we think? Excellent. 
Okay, well that just about covers most of Andrew's questions. If you're out there and you have a coaching-related question, feel free to submit them. The online Facebook thing would be good, possibly Instagram. I don't, you know, I don't really gram much. I don't quite know how it all works. So, yeah, Facebook would be a good one. And who knows, we'll get you on the show, do a little online coaching, distance coaching, whatever you want to call it. Should be fun. Okay, time to check back in with Mr. Tolina and see what's good. You know, they say you can have anything you want in life if you're prepared to sacrifice everything to get it. And you, you strike me as someone who, whether it be physical work, physical activities like triathlons, or you were a tennis player, you were a racquetball player, and you played baseball for college. So you would appear to be someone who understands the virtue of sacrifice and how much work it takes for an individual to excel at anything, you know, almost regardless of what you're trying to reach the top of, there's always a relationship between hard work and the payoff. You know, they say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that's true in everything, you know. Do you find that there was one particular sport you played that kind of mentally prepared you for essentially reaching the, the top of a sport such as pickleball? You know, I, I think back, I, I played, I think I played almost every sport you can play aside from wrestling and soccer. And I think just that during those times, I was so involved with baseball and tennis and other things like that, that I just didn't find other things. But I would say that probably what has shaped me the most is just playing team sports, right? And learning early on that I felt like I was, I always took on leadership type of roles within those teams and and whether it was as a so to speak, you know, direct leader or an indirect type of leadership role as I kind of grew in and understood sports and figured out, hey, how could I help somebody else be better? How are we going to make the whole of this team as strong as we can be? And and I would say it's probably as it pushed me through baseball, but I would probably say the most impactful sport on pickleball itself would be probably the combination of tennis and racquetball. And I think just because of the the correlation between the racket sports, the hand-eye coordination that's, that's needed, and just seeing different strategies in those two sports and how to really try to apply those on the pickleball court. And I can tell you that I'm still learning, right? It's, it's a, it's a never-ending, never-ending journey that you're trying to get there. So yeah, it's a never-ending, exactly right. It's a never-ending journey. And I'm going to be so curious what, what technique and strategy is going to look like a hundred years from now. Yeah. You mentioned something about just, I love your quotes and, and some of the, your theories that you share around hard work and stuff. There's a quote that's been a favorite quote of mine for quite some time. And, and it's, you can't cheat the grind because it knows exactly how much you've invested and it won't give you any more than you put in. That's not someone specifically that I've heard that from that was shared with me a while back with a non-author and, and it's just stuck with me. I've actually had a couple of shirts made up with that quote on the back, but I think it speaks you know, speaks miles to exactly what it takes if you want to see results. Oh, I love it. I, I remember one of the first and most inspirational ones I remember hearing was from a guy named Rory Bolden. Walden? He was a, I think he was a high school basketball coach. And he said simply, success is never owned. It is only leased and the rent is due every day. Dude, that's awesome. All right. Awesome. I mean, yep. yeah, it's it's so true. You know, yeah. you take a day off. And I think of it sometimes like Coca-Cola, for example. They're at the top of the game, 
they spend more money on marketing than anybody because they know what it takes every single day to be number one, to stay on top. You know, and, and I think every top athlete who has reached number one in whatever discipline understands that the work it took to get them there isn't as much as the work it's going to take to stay there. Yeah, that is spot on right there. That's the gold that Morgan <laughs> delivers and shares periodically with everybody. <laughs> I mean, I half the time I think I say these things and I try it and I preach it as much as possible to students because I want to I want to be living that sort of mantra more often. I like competing more than winning. I love the journey more than you know ever getting to the top. The most depressing time in my pickleball career was soon after TOC in 2017, where the Polish monster and myself came away with the win and. I remember feeling like it was it was almost the end because I, I felt like I had lost some respect for the game because it allowed me to win because I didn't think I put in enough work to make it happen. And probably what, what was more closely the truth is I just had a misunderstanding of how much work everyone else was putting in perhaps or how much work that my tennis background had you know lent me towards getting good at pickleball. It's a combination of things, but... Yeah, I remember feeling like, what are we doing here? What's next? If if this is possible, then maybe I have to get more into coaching and try to get my fulfillment from that, which is you know, something I, I soon did with Mr. McGuffin and various other Selkirk players, and I, and I get huge amounts of fulfillment from that. But I'm always amazed at what things do and don't you know, fulfill me at an emotional level, so much further beyond you know, winning that... I feel like I'll be able to play the game, you know, for another 50 years because I get to choose what success is. I get to choose at the end of a tournament if I've won or lost based on whatever measurements I, I decide. That's interesting you say that because I, I think sometimes we forget what actually it takes to to step out on the court that day for that tournament and what everyone else's preparation to your point might look like. I think in the end, it's it's having the confidence and the, and the trust in yourself to know that, hey, I put in the time. And today I'm going to take whatever it gives me and the result, you know, I'll get a chance to kind of self-reflect on that afterwards, right? It's interesting though, that you say that that fulfillment piece isn't necessarily the win or the loss. And man, I've seen this probably more so in the last, especially with this pandemic hitting and getting kind of a little disconnected with the pickleball family, right? The community that we're seeing on a regular basis. And in the past, people always said, what is it about pickleball that I love the most? And it was a very quick response. It was always the people. And I don't think that has changed. But what I do realize is that during all of this, and I have greatly missed the competition, not the winning or losing, but that sheer, just the sheer competition and the fight and the grind and and knowing that you've got somebody else out there that wants it just as bad, if not more. And that's one thing I've really missed. But I think it's, you know, to your point, it's the ability to self-reflect and, and, figure out, hey, it's, you know, what do I take away from this and what continues to drive me forward? So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. It's the, the people that love the grind, that love the journey. I remember two days before I left Australia, this was end of 2005, was planning a trip around the world. And I'd been living with a guy whose name I never learned. And I'd been living with him for about six months. He was very sort of standoffish, very sullen. And I didn't know why, but I knew his nickname. His nickname was Chopper. And, you know, a night or two nights before I left, he never drank anything, but he always see me crack a bottle of wine or a couple of beers and he knew I was leaving. So he said, Morgan, let's have a glass of wine. We might as well talk now. And 
So I asked him after a little while, why do they call you Chopper? And I knew almost nothing about this guy. I knew he liked climbing, though. He had a lot of climbing equipment. And he said, well, they call me Chopper because I've tried to summit Everest eight times now. And every single time, I've lost a friend and I've always been airlifted off the top of the mountain. And that's why they called him Chopper. And I was blown away. I still remember it to this day. And he said, look, I, I can't stop doing it. And I think even when I reach the top, I'll still go back again and again and again, because I just love the climb. You know, there are two types of climbers out there. There are the climbers that just want to reach the top, whether it's Everest or K2, pick your poison. There are those ones that just, they're all about reaching the top and getting to that destination. And then there's the guys that just love the journey. And as I've gotten to know myself over the last 30, well, I won't worry about the last number there, 30-something years, I realized I'm the I'm the latter. I just love the journey. And I think you're the same. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And I guarantee you, you know, your friend Chopper would tell you that that journey isn't always comfortable, right? I think about Ironman specifically. So 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a full 26.2 marathon at the end. You got to do it in less than 17 hours. And I can tell you that there was multiple times, not so much during the swim, the swim, I just knew I was going to have to grind it out, but multiple times during the bike, I found myself thinking, going, man, what in the world am I doing out here, man? This is just crazy. I mean, there's certain races, it was crazy hot. And then there's all the time you come off the bike in the transition and, and you get your transition bag. And the next thing you know, you're sitting down in the changing tent and you pull your stuff out and you're looking at your running shoes and you realize, man, I got to do a full marathon and multiple times during that 26.2 miles. It's miserable. You get sick. But I'll tell you, crossing the finish line, that journey is worth it every time. And mm. it just makes me think about that part of appreciating the journey versus just getting to the end is, is key. And that has to be a lot of, a lot of people as they move through pickleball, right? It's as, as much as they want to improve in the sport in anything they want to do is there's going to be a journey, right? They don't just come in and have it all figured out. Yeah, that's right. And you teach the game, I, I teach the game, and I'm always concerned and upset when I, when I find a student that comes away from either a bunch of recreational games and they, they're genuinely upset with how far they believe they have to go. And I talk to them about it and, and I'll always have the same look on my face. It's a look of jealousy. I'm envious of anyone who gets to start the journey at an earlier place. It's something whereby I can't go back. I can't go home again. <laughs> they say, you never go home. And if I was able to relive being, I don't know, what would probably be considered a 4.0 now when I sort of first picked up the paddle and the level obviously was so different five or six years ago. But, oh God, I'd love to do it all again just to experience the little stepping stones, getting better at this, that, and the other. You know, right now you're one of the elite players in the game and for you to get substantially better, it's incredibly difficult. You know, you're clawing for inches right now and the work to get those inches is so much more than when you first pick up the paddle and you get that that wonderful little learning curve stage where you're just excelling so quickly, you're learning so much so fast and you're, you know, suddenly feeling like you're on top of the world and then you reach the top and you're hoping you're just going to plateau and not go, not go down. Right. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so true. A little bit like picking up the new Vanguard, right? It's uh, a lot of excitement around that. And boy, that's been, I've been hitting it for quite a, for quite a while now, but to get the, to not be swinging the prototype and actually get the, the new one in hand, it was quite nice. 
it's a special day when the ones with the full graphics arrive and you, you start whacking them for the first time. It's one of those rare times I have left in the game where I legitimately get very, very excited when I know they've sent something and, and I get to kind of go and see how it plays, if, if this is going to be the one, so to speak, if there was a one. <laughs> it's fantastic. So I'm sure the Vanguard's going to be a huge success. I'm a big fan. Sounds like you are too. Yeah, absolutely. From the time, I mean, I hit with it for, hit with a prototype for, five minutes and it could already feel the difference. And once you got a chance to really truly hit it and, and get it into play, it was pretty spectacular for sure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Tony, I'm going to have to love you and leave you, mate. This has been, this has been epic. I've enjoyed this. We got to do it again. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Anytime. And thanks for everything you're doing out there, Morgan. Love your podcast and keep going strong, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. And you and your company keep, keep everyone safe. Absolutely, we'll do that. All right, brother. Well, we'll take care soon and we'll see you on the court. Yeah, peace out to you. Cheers. Well, that's it for another episode. I'm Morgan Evans and this has been More or Less Pickleball. podcast was powered by Selkirk. This podcast is also brought to you by the next generation of Selkirk paddle, the Vanguard. I'm Morgan Evans and this has been More or Less Pickleball.